making your way to find a seat. Now, as you're finding a seat, just several announcements for you this morning as we get started. Some opportunities for you that we want you as a church to be aware of. First of all, you hopefully know this, but if you're not following Gateway on social media, we want to invite you to do that. Gateway is on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter, and it's a chance for you to know what's going on around here. But more than that, it's not just announcements that we put up there. Each week we put out prayer points, ways to pray for the nations, ways to pray for other ministries. You see up there what our kids are learning, so you can pray for what our kids are hearing in terms of the gospel. And there's a new addition to the social media channels each week as we're promoting different books in the resource center that we want to encourage you to read. So if you're already following us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, you've already seen these, but if not, I want you to check them out. If, you, if you're new to Gateway, we have a resource center in the hallway right down here with good books on lots of different topics to help you grow in your walk with Christ. Two I want to mention to you, these got highlighted on social media the last two weeks, but first is The Peacemaker. If you want to read a book to help you grow in how we handle conflict biblically and what it looks like to live out what we've been seeing in 1 Peter, this is a great one, Peacemaker Ken Sandy. And then for parents, there's a new resource we've just added in recent weeks out there. It's called Little Pilgrim's Big Journey. If you're familiar with the classic tale, Pilgrim's Progress, this is Pilgrim's Progress adapted for kids. My two-year-old loves it and my 12-year-old loves it and everyone in between as well. It's illustrated, but for parents, it's got questions for you so you don't just read the story to your kids. You can ask them questions to engage them with the gospel message. And there's a lot more out there, but I want to just highlight those two. If you're looking for a good read to help you grow in your walk with Christ this year, check out the Resource Center in the hall and follow us on social media to see opportunities for you. For the men, coming up in less than three weeks, three weeks from yesterday, we have a men's day hike coming up. We do these several times a year. It's to get guys together to build community, to enjoy God's creation. We're headed up to Lake Martin, to just below Martin Dam that forms Lake Martin. There's a beautiful trail there called the John B. Scott Forever Wild Trail. It's about five miles. It's a fun hike. It's moderate, so it's not easy, but it's not super challenging. It's a fun one just to get together. We'll do a picnic lunch out there. The details are on the website, gatewaybaptist.com, under news and events. And we need you to register so we know how many are coming. There's no cost, but go to the website to register for that and for more information. Now, for our visitors who've been coming, we want to invite you to come to our membership class. It's called Foundations. It's a four-week class that introduces you to who Gateway is, what we believe. We talk about what is the gospel. We talk about what is the church. We talk about what it means to walk with Christ. We talk about what worship entails. We cover these foundational things of the life of the church. It's your chance each to get to know us. Each class is taught by a different elder, so you get to dig in with my elders on your questions about church and theology. And so we just want to invite you to that. It begins in three weeks from today, February 26th. It meets at 9 a.m. just before the service, so you don't have to come up on a different day. In the gym building details are on our website and we need you to register in advance as well now two more announcements first of all for the parents hopefully you've seen this on social media in the email we have a parents night out this coming friday our young adult life group has, do, has done this before and they're doing it again and we are so thankful for their willingness to do this there are a few spots left and i mean just a few most people at gateway are a little bit late signing up for things until it's parents night out I think I, I think I emailed this out to the parents at 10 o'clock at night, and by the next morning we were at 90% capacity for this event. So the Adult Life Group has, in, has increased capacity for this, and we're so thankful for that. But if you want to go to that and you're not registered, you get to the website and it's already full. It'll tell you, add your name to the wait list so we know of your interest. So if we're able to add more, we can contact you on that. So, and those details are on the website. So Andrew, come on up. This is, as we think about the Young Adult Life Group, Andrew's one of the leaders of the Young Adult Life Group, and he has a special announcement for the young adults, inviting them to what's going on. Yeah, so my name is Andrew. Uh, we have been meeting as a young adult group for quite a while, but we realized the other week that we haven't 
announced it before, <laughs> really. Uh, it is an open group. There's not like a cap on it. So, uh, sorry, made some notes here. Uh, so we meet on Thursdays at uh, 6.30. Doors open 6.30. We actually get started around 7 o'clock. Uh, the age range that it's for is anybody out of high school. Um, it, it kind of fluxes with some of the college kids because now everybody goes to college and some some people just jump right into life and you're welcome to join us all the way up into 30s uh we welcome you guys to come uh we started a house rotation uh we meet at different people's houses every every month uh this month jordan butler has been kind enough to open his home for us yes uh, this week, however, we are going to be meeting back at the church for one time only because afterwards we are going to be preparing for Parents' Night Out, which is going to be the following day. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so if you guys want to join or know anybody that wants to come our way, uh, you can talk to me or my wife, Melissa, or really any of the awesome people over here. Um, it has been an incredible community that God has given us. We just are pushing one another to grow deeper with God and love and encourage each other along the way. Um, so if you want to send anybody our way, just let us know or come talk to us after service. We would love to tell you more about it. And if you, like I said, the parents not out thing, if you want it to be bigger and better next year, send us more volunteers. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Grateful for all you guys do. It is a fun community. So young adults, if you're not plugged in with the, the wife group, encourage you to connect and go to the website gatewaybaptist.com and you will find information about the young adult group in an email so you can get in touch with them. Well, that was a lot, but want to make sure you're aware of opportunities for you to grow and connect in community here. We really want you to go beyond Sunday mornings and really invest in relationships and community here. Well, to prepare our hearts to sing the Lord, can I ask you to stand, please? I want to read to us from Psalm number 36 this morning, verses 5 to 7. We're going to be singing this morning about the steadfastness of God and his faithfulness to do all that he said he will do. And we'll transition from singing about his steadfastness to singing the gospel message this morning. So Psalm 36, verses 5 and 7. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Let's sing about the steadfastness of God this morning. See, come let us worship our King. Worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. 
sind Vater keines. Father, kindness, you have poured our grace. You brought me out of darkness. You have filled me with peace. Give mercy, you're my help inside of me. Lord, I can't help but see.
We're going to introduce a new song this morning. Uh, when Grady gets ready to come preach, he's going to be preaching from 1 Peter, continuing through 1 Peter 3.15. And today we're looking at being ready to give a defense of the hope that is in you. And we've just been singing this morning just about that hope that God's promises are yes and amen and that in Christ alone is where our hope is found and that there's nothing in and of ourselves. So this song we're introducing is going to be called There Is One Gospel, City of Light wrote it. And we've been wanting to introduce it and it just seemed fitting this week that looking at this text, that this will be the time to introduce it. So we're going to read some verses uh, before we sing the song. So we'll be looking and it'll be on the screen. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 2. Looking at verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Then moving on into Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then to 1 Corinthians. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Our salvation is not of ourselves. We are saved by grace through faith, and this is the work of God, his own doing, his plan. Let's sing this together. in what I can 
we just stop right now. Lord, what a beautiful reminder of the hope of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for the story that we were once lost with no hope in this world. We were dead, and yet you made us alive in Christ. And we just worship you today. We gather today in your name because of your great gospel. Lord, and because Jesus made a way, Lord, we can now come into your presence. Lord, boldly, with confidence, Lord, we can enter into your presence. And Lord, that we can be in the presence of the one true and living God. Lord, we think back into the old covenant. Lord, to enter into your presence, Lord, the process to do that, Lord, was just so arduous and yet Lord you give us that privilege every day all day 
because of the gospel, because of Christ. And we say thank you, Lord. And Lord, as we come before you today, Lord, we want to lift up, Lord, some needs in our church, Lord, some um, petitions on behalf of folks, Lord. We do want to say thank you, Lord, for the work you're doing here at Gateway. Lord, I think of the college ministry, Lord, that the students would grow in their faith, Lord. Lord, would be becoming more and more like Christ. Lord, thank you for Seth and Megan. Lord, thank you for Parker and Aaron as they partner together, Lord, to lead this ministry. Give them great wisdom. Lord, would you do what only you can do in the hearts of these students? Lord, we thank you for for Foe Smart, Lord, his heart for these young men, Lord, as he ministers to them at Safety Net. And Lord, we just pray that he would see fruit in these young men's lives. Lord, as he shares his love with them and your love with them. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Russell Swerner, Capitol Heights Baptist Church. Lord, the privilege to pray for our brothers and sisters across this city. And Lord, we pray that you'd be doing a work there at Capitol Heights Baptist Church. Lord, that you would be um, empowering their leadership to shepherd well. Lord, that there would be those coming to Christ through their ministry. Lord, thank you that we are truly one church in Montgomery. Lord, and our desire is to, to honor you. Lord, we pray for Mayor Reed and our city council, Lord, as you've called us to pray for our government. Lord, we pray, Lord, that they would be leading with righteousness, Lord. Lord, we, what we do know, Lord, is that you've appointed them. Lord, what we do know is that your will is being accomplished, Lord. Help us to be faithful to do what you've called us to do and pray for them. Lord, we do pray for a group of Vietnamese believers in Ho Chi Minh City who are reading the Bible together daily. Lord, who are going through your word methodically. Lord, trying to, to share the gospel. And Lord, I pray that this group would grow in their faith and understanding who you are as they encounter you in the word. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to our body here at Gateway. Lord, in every way. Lord, we lack nothing. Lord, we are truly a rich church. So Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness today. And Lord, we thank you for Grady. Lord, that you've uh, given him to us. Lord, uh, and his teaching gift. Lord, week after week. Lord, we just pray today that the word you've given him, Lord, where we're going to, we're going to celebrate the gospel today, the hope of Christ. Lord, that he would preach in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to receive and believe, Lord, your word today. And that not one person would walk out of here not changed today as a result. We just commit all this to you, Lord, for your glory and our great joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated first to fourth grade. The kids worship. We have Pastor CJ today. So first to fourth grade and head on those double doors with Pastor CJ. Well, the kids are on their way to kids' worship, but you'll find 1 Peter chapter 3 in your copy of God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 3. We are in the middle of a challenging section of 1 Peter. It's the topic of suffering. Now, Peter has mentioned it several times. I mentioned last week, we're now in his lengthiest treatment on this subject. So, yes, we have several weeks of teaching on suffering from this extended session section of 1 
Peter. And Peter provides this to us to prepare his followers, to prepare Jesus' followers then and now for the reality of suffering and hardships in this life. Remember last week I shared with you a quote where the author said that suffering stalks the believer until this present evil age comes to an end. And that's true for us as well. Even in the context we're in, there will be sufferings and hardships and trials in this life until this present evil age comes to an end. And as we return to this subject again today, I want to start back with the same question I asked last week that I hope you've been thinking about. And that is when you have been through suffering, what is your normal response? Not just when you've been through it, but when you think about potential future sufferings in the future, how do you feel about that? What happens in your heart when you think about the fact that I may have to suffer one day? As we've seen in this section over the last several weeks, as Peter addresses the topic of suffering, he's been focused so far on what we're not to do when we suffer, how we're not to respond when we encounter these hardships. And he starts there because he knows that's what we are so prone to do. So studying this week, I came across an interesting quote from one of the authors I was reading. And he said this, Your sinful nature does not need any help responding to offense and sufferings. The arsenal of the flesh is well supplied. That one just kind of hit me. The arsenal of our flesh, our sinful desires, is well supplied with counterattacks, with bitterness, with despair, with biting anger, with self-pity, with resentment. We can get quite creative in our response. And it's so true. We respond in so many natural ways like that to sufferings and pain and hardships. When you think about how we respond to it, what Peter has shown us so far is there's two main ways people respond to suffering. These are what he's calling us to put off. The first is anger. Some people get angry when sufferings come. They feel anger towards the person or the group that has hurt them. They feel angry and so they want to retaliate or get even. And some people even feel anger towards God for allowing those sufferings in their life. And Peter's told us to put off anger, to put off evil for evil. If you look back as a quick review to chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, Peter's already told us in verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. In verse 10, he tells us, forever desires to love life and seek a days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Then in verse 11, he's told us to let him turn away from evil. So he's told us in all these verses that when suffering comes, do not respond with evil, do not respond with anger, do not respond with hatred, do not respond with retaliation. But there's a second response, a very natural response to suffering. It's what we looked at last week, and that's fear. Some people respond to suffering with fear. They fear the pain, or they fear those who might hurt them. They fear the future, and Peter said, put that off as well. That was verse 14 from last week. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Our sin nature is well-equipped to respond to sufferings and hardships and trials with either fear or with anger. And so God tells us to put that off by his grace from our life, to rid that from our lives. For instance, we see over and over as we study scripture, holiness, pursuing God's will for us, is not just not doing things, it's replacing those things with what Christ would do, with the good things God has called us to do. And that's exactly what we've seen here. Peter's shown us these things to put off from our life. Now in today's verse, he's going to transition us to what we put on instead. What does holiness look like when it comes to suffering? Not just don't get angry. Not just don't be fearful, but what do we pursue instead? So look at verse 15, just the first word, and you'll see the contrast here before we dig into it this morning. But, right here at the beginning, he's transitioning from what you put off in sufferings to what you put on instead. So as we read verse 15, our text for this morning, be looking for what is God calling us to do in our sufferings. And friends, even if we're not in a period of suffering now, this text is still very relevant for us because this is really what God calls us to do in any stage of life, whether you're in an easy stage or a hard stage right now. This is God's will 
for us. So what is the path God is calling us to go down? I want you to look for it as we read. So can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Just one verse this morning, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your word, your living word that changes us and transforms us. And Lord, once again, as we come to this more challenging subject that we confess, we often don't like to think about the topic of suffering. But I pray you'd open our eyes to the wonders of your word, to the wonders of who you are, and you'd rekindle in us just all for who you are and your control of all things. And I pray you would give us hope this morning and the passion to do what you've called us to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So what is the path God has called us to do in suffering? What is it he's calling us to put on? And quite simply, friends, he's calling us to have a big view of himself. The antidote to fear, the antidote to worry, if we put those things off, is by putting on a big view of God. Now, if you remember back in verse 9, that was several weeks ago, we were talking about conflict. And Ken Sandy, I shared it that morning, said, every time you encounter a conflict, you inevitably show what you think about God. You will show that either you have a big God or you have a big self. I want to adapt that to what we're talking about this morning in terms of suffering and hardships. And I think Ken Sandy's right, but every time we encounter trials, every time we encounter hardships, every time we encounter sufferings, it inevitably shows what we really think about God. Our response will show either we have a big God or we have a big view of ourselves. Our natural response to suffering is a big view of ourselves. We respond in fear because we're thinking much about ourselves. We respond in anger because we're focused on ourselves. But the antidote to that Peter is showing us here is that we need a big view of God instead of a big view of ourselves. Well, what do I mean by a big view of God? Quite simply, I mean we understand the sovereignty of God and we trust in it. When I talk about having a big view of God, I'm talking about understanding the sovereignty of God and trusting in that, resting in that. Now, that raises another question. What do I mean by sovereignty? It's a big word we use around here a lot, but what do we mean by that? Well, if you think about sovereignty in general, it's a political term in the way it gets used today. It's the right of a nation to rule itself, right? It's the nation's control over its own land. And so if you watch the news this week, our sovereignty was violated when a spy balloon from another country goes floating over our country. So what do we do when that happens? Our airspace, our sovereign airspace, that word even appeared in the news, this is United States land. Another country sent something over our land. What do we do? We get a military jet out and shoot it down. Why? Because we have sovereign rights over this land. We are exercising our sovereignty. But if you think about that, our sovereignty, if we claim sovereignty, would be meaningless if we didn't have that jet to shoot that balloon down. Sovereignty is only helpful if you actually have the right to enforce it. Now, let's take that to what the Bible means by the sovereignty of God. It means that God rules over everything. That God is in charge. He's in command of all that happens. He does whatever pleases him, and he has the power to do it. God is never up in heaven going, oh, I wish I could. I just don't have a way to do that. God has the wisdom to do all things. He has the will to do whatever he pleases to do, and he has the power to do it. So when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we're talking about God's perfect will over all things. God's rule over everything in creation, his power to do what he wills. Now, you may be thinking, Grady, I don't see that here in verse 15. And the phrase, the sovereignty of God, is not here, but the idea is all through verse 15. I want you to notice this, and notice particularly this first phrase here. But in your hearts, here it is, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now, notice these words, honor as holy. 
And the Greek which Peter wrote in, that was just one word. Somehow it gets split in our translations here. But there was a Greek word, one word. It's the word hagiazo, and it means honor as holy. Now, when Jesus used this word, he used it in the Lord's Prayer when he was teaching his disciples how to pray. And perhaps we should call it the model prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. He said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hagiazo, hallowed be, honor as holy your name. Exact same word that Peter uses here. What does it mean to hallow God's name? What does it mean to honor as holy God? Well, friends, God is already fully holy. That's who he is. That's his nature. That's his attribute. And so we're not adding anything to the holiness of God. Rather, we are recognizing it. We are worshiping him for it. We are loving his holiness. And so go back to verse 15. It's the same word Peter uses here. But in your hearts, honor as holy Christ the Lord. Hallow Christ for his holiness. Reverently consider Jesus' holiness. Think deeply about and love the holiness of Jesus. That means Jesus is perfect in everything that he does. And Peter's bringing that out for us as well. Notice this other part of that phrase, honor as holy Christ the Lord. In the Greek here, it really should say Christ as Lord. This would be more literally rendered honor as holy Christ as Lord. We are to think about and meditate on and dwell on the fact that Jesus is holy and that Jesus is the Lord. What does it mean that he's the Lord? It means he's in control of all things. He's the sovereign ruler of all. Colossians chapter 1 Verses 16 and 17 brings this out. For by him, him, here is Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth. That means there's nothing that he's not Lord over, right? Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So we're to honor as holy Christ as Lord, Christ the creator of all, Christ the sustainer of all. That means, friends, nothing can stop his will He is sovereign and he is holy. So whatever God wills is perfect. It's good. Whatever he wills is going to happen. Nothing can stop it and nothing can thwart it. And friends, that truth has much to speak to us when we're facing sufferings. Because that truth means for us, if we go back to verse 15, if we are to in our hearts honor as holy Christ as Lord, that means he is Lord over our lives. That means he is Lord. He is sovereign over what happens to us. That includes the parts we like, and that includes the parts we are unhappy with, the sufferings and hardships. Which means, friends, if he is Lord over all and his will is good, even our sufferings are not pointless. Even those trials we walk through are not pointless. Even those hardships we endure somehow fit into God's good, holy, perfect plan. Now, we may not in this life ever understand how, We are not God. We are finite. We are limited. He is not. But we can trust if he is Lord over all and he is holy in all that he does, whatever his lordship over our life looks like is a good plan for us, even if we don't understand it. So Peter's calling us to think about this truth, to reflect on this truth that we are to honor as holy Christ as Lord. And friends, that's not just like a little intellectual thing for us to think about on occasion. Notice how he begins in verse 15, but in your hearts. In the seat of your emotions, the deepest part of who you are, let this truth drive down to there. Not just on occasion go, oh yeah, yeah, I believe that Jesus is holy. Oh yeah, I believe he is Lord. But Peter is saying from the deepest parts of who you are, really, really embrace that God is sovereign over all things, that God is Lord of all things, that he is holy in all that he does, and let that from the depths of you overflow and change you. So when the trials and hardships come, and they will, he says, put off being angry, 
put off being fearful. Instead, put on a high view of God. Think deeply about the character of God. Dwell on his holiness. Dwell on his lordship. Dwell on his sovereignty, even over your trials. So friends, before we move on, I want to pause and ask you, do you really know deep, deep down in your heart that God is on his throne? Do you really know deep in your heart that his will for you is good and perfect? That the path of your life may not look like you had dreamed about it when you were 18 years old, but do you know that deep down in your heart that his path for you has been good and is good? And do you know deep down in your heart that God is sovereign even over your sufferings and your trials, and he is still good even as we walk through those hardships? In your hearts, friends, do you really believe that because that is what we're called to put on here as we walk through the path of suffering and hardships and even as we walk through the path of easier times as well. And friends, as we, by God's grace, put on that view, by God's grace, as we embrace that view of his sovereignty and his plan, something changes in us. Something will change in us that benefits us and that benefits others as well. Notice what benefits us when we embrace this perspective, put on this perspective of God and his will. We gain hope. Look back at verse 15 here. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. We'll come back to that. Here it is, for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Friends, as we walk through hardships in life, what we see here is we can have hope the more we understand the bigness of God, that we can have hope. Now, if you've been around Gateway for a while, you know the answer to this question. But the question is, what is hope? Because in our culture, hope is, I hope that team wins, or I hope I get this. Hope in Scripture is not that. Hope in Scripture is a confidence in what is to come. It's a confidence that we can embrace in what is to come. And what is the confidence? It's what we're just seeing, that God is on his throne, that God's plans are perfect and God's plans are good. And that means we can be confident in his plans for us for all eternity. And Peter drives us home over and over in his letter. For example, back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, he tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, what is that hope in? Verse 4, to an inheritance, what's still to come for us, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, in the midst of our trials now, we have hope in eternity. That even in our trials, God is holding us. That even in our trials, they won't last forever. But eternity with God, with an inheritance that is perfect and an imperishable and undefiled, is awaiting for us. That also means we have our hope in God's will for us. We have hope that he's going to get us through these trials now and accomplish things in the next two verses, verses 6 and 7. And this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that, here's the reason God allows trials in our life, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes though is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in the midst of our sufferings, we have hope in the sovereignty of God because he's promised us that we will get to eternity with him. He's promised us that as we walk through this life in these trials, he's going to bring good to us and glory to himself through it. And then he's promised us what we saw in 1 Peter 3, 14 last week, that he will bless us in the midst of those sufferings. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. And so friends, as we put off fear and put off anger in the midst of our sufferings, we put on a big view of the sovereignty of God and we find hope, hope that knowing God will get us to eternity, hope that knowing God will redeem our sufferings, hope to know that he will bless us right now therefore we can say in verse 15 but in your hearts 
honor Christ the Lord as holy. We can give a reason for the hope that is in you. Friends, when a Christian is suffering or struggling in this life, when they say, I am hoping in God, they're not just making stuff up. They are resting in the sovereignty of God to get us to eternity, to redeem our sufferings now, and to bless us now. So friends, before we go on, I want to ask you, do you have that type of hope? Do you know beyond a shadow of doubt with full confidence today that when you die, you will see God? Do you know that eternity awaits you with the blessings God has promised? But friends, do you have hope now that even those hardships and trials and sufferings you're going through are not pointless, but they're in the hands of the Almighty God who made you and loves you, and he is redeeming them to bring good to you and good to others? Friends, do you have that type of hope even in the hard times? My friends, I said there was a benefit to us and a benefit to others as well. As we understand the bigness of God, as we understand the sovereignty of God, not only do we have hope, but that hope begins to be noticeable to others. I said at the beginning that our flesh is well, well supplied to respond with anger or fear. And that's what people are used to. When they see people suffering, what happens? People are either visibly fearful or visibly angry. That's what the world expects. But when by God's grace, he changes us and transforms us to not be fearful, to not be angry, but to trust in his goodness, to trust in his sovereignty and find hope, those around us will take notice. Peter's already told us this back in chapter 2, verse 12. He said, keep your conduct, the way you live among the Gentiles, that means non-believers, honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, there's a suffering, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In God's plan, we're not to withdraw from the world, but we live among the world. And as we face the hardships and sufferings that the rest of the world face, and additional sufferings because we love Christ and the world hates Christ, as we put off the normal responses, people notice there is a difference, and we have a chance to point them to Christ. Go back to verse 15 this morning. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Here it is. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. He's Peter's telling us that as you live as a hope-filled people in the midst of this world, people will notice and ask questions. Questions like, hey, you had a chance to get even there and you did not. Why? Hey, why are you so happy? I know your life is hard and you have these struggles. Why are you happy? Or hey, why aren't you worried? I'd be worried sick right now. You're not. What's different and much more? Friends, when those questions come to us, those are not accidents. God is sovereign, so he gives those questions to give us opportunities to speak of Christ to those who ask those questions, to point them to the hope that we have. So how do we answer people who ask us, how do you have hope, or why are you different? How do we answer them? Well, Peter tells us here in this verse, he tells us what to answer, and he tells us how to answer. Let's start with the what. What do we answer when people say, hey, why are you happier? How do you have hope right now? Or why are you different? How do we answer them, or what do we answer them? He tells us, verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Here it is, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. He tells us to make a defense. In the Greek, this word is the word apologia. It's the word we get answer from. We're to make an answer to whoever asks us. This is the word from which we get the, the study of apologetics, defending the faith. And while studying apologetics is great, that's not what Peter is talking about here. He's not talking about you need to go take a specialized course to understand how to defend the faith. When he talks about giving an answer He's talking about being able to explain the gospel to those who are around you. This is a call in your daily conversations to be able to articulate the gospel message and how it has changed you. So when someone says, what makes you different? Or how are you not 
fearful? Or why are you not anxious about this? Or why do you have joy? Or why are you happy? This is a calling for us in those conversations to be able to explain to them how the gospel has changed us, what it is and how it's changed us and how it can change them. This is a call to answer with the good news of who Jesus is, the good news of who we are, and the good news of how God has redeemed sinners like us. Friends, that does not take a seminary degree to be able to answer with the gospel. That does not take studying world religions. You don't have to understand their world religion to be able to answer with the gospel. It does not require being current in every cultural thought. It means you know the message of scripture and how God saves sinners like us. Because that's why we just sang that song, there is one gospel. There's a beautiful line in it where we sang, there is one gospel where my hope is found. That's why we just sang those simple truths in Christ alone, my hope is found. I am his, he is mine, I am bought with the blood of Christ. We've just, in two songs, articulated the gospel message in song. This is a calling in verse 15 for us to be able to articulate that gospel message in conversations with people as they ask us what is different. And notice in verse 15, we're told to be prepared to make a defense. In other words, as we live focused on the bigness of God, we should anticipate God-given opportunities to point people to Christ and to be prepared to do that. So how do we prepare ourselves, friends, to answer and to give a defense? Well, if the answer is giving the gospel, we simply have to think about the gospel every day. We prepare ourselves by pursuing our own relationship with Christ. We do it by pursuing God in prayer and pursuing God in scripture. It's not a complicated thing. We simply seek to keep the gospel before ourselves every day and spend time with the Lord every day. One of the authors I was reading this week said it so well in this. He says, morning by morning, we have to go to the word, not to amass arguments for every possible rebuttal someone might have for us. No, we go to the word because we are so desperately needy. Our own hope wanes. We have fears that need to overcome by the promises of God. We have doubts that need to be answered. The fight of faith is waged on our knees with the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and with prayer. Then he goes on to say, when we emerge from that encounter with God, with a renewed and lively hope in his promises, we'll be ready to make a case for our hope. When we emerge from our encounter with God with a renewed and lively hope in his promises, we'll be ready to make a case for our hope. So how do we prepare ourselves to give a defense to share the gospel? As we do it by staying close to the Lord. We do it by reading his word. We do it by praying to him. We do it by running back to the word of God to have our own hopes rekindled, to have our own promises of God, to have the promises of God to his people renewed in our minds, to have our own faith strengthened. As we simply walk with God in prayer and in his word and in community, we are strengthened to be able to do what verse 15 said, to be prepared to make a defense, to share the gospel with anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So friends, I wanna ask you again before we move on, is the gospel message that was so sweet to you when you first trusted Christ, is it still precious to you today? Friends, are you finding a delight in seeking God in prayer? Are you finding a delight in studying the word of God to have your own faith strengthened? Are you delighting? Are you keeping the gospel before yourself each day? Because it's from the overflow of that that we find the confidence to explain it to other people. And friends, if you need help rekindling a love for the gospel, open the Bible and start reading. Ask your Christian friends to come alongside you. And friends, there's great books out there. There's in fact a whole top middle shelf of the Resource Center. It's just books about the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel primer for Christians. The explicit gospel. If you just want to 
rekindle a perspective or grab a book on the gospel and read it, but get into the word, get into prayer and let the word stir your hearts for the gospel because it's from the overflow of that you can defend it. So that's what to answer. We answer it with the gospel. But Peter tells us one more thing. He tells us how to answer with the gospel. And this is important. This is verse, the end of verse 15. He tells us the last phrase, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So he told us what to answer when people say, hey, you're different. Now, how do you respond to them? He says, do it with gentleness. Now, this is a synonym for humility. That means we answer the person with humility. That means we answer it considering their needs, caring about them. We do it respectfully and in concern for them. What does that look like practically? It means we listen well to them. We actually hear their objections. We actually hear their concerns. We hear their questions. And if you're like me, I can sit there and be thinking, okay, how am I going to answer this? And my mind starts to race of all the best ways. And it's no, we stop that. We actually engage them and listen to them. We then respond truthfully, but lovingly. We do it from an attitude of humility. I am no better than the lost person who's sitting before me. It's only the grace of God that saved me, and that's what they need as well. And so from a place of humility, we answer with gentleness in how we speak. Even if they're aggressive to us, even if they're arguing or yelling at us, we don't revile in return. We gently explain the gospel. But Peter has another phrase here. Not only do we respond with gentleness, he says we respond with respect. Now, unfortunately, that's not the best translation of this word here. The Greek word here is the Greek word phobos. It's where we get the English word phobia from. This word's translating the rest of Scripture as fear. The word to answer them with gentleness and fear. Now, there's a reason the translators change it because that sounds very funny to us here, but there's a reason of what it's saying here. We're not to fear them. We don't sit there trembling, going, okay, I'm telling you the gospel, but don't hit me. That's not what this is about here. This is fear, not of people. Look back at verse 14, what Peter has just told us. In the end of 14, have no fear of them. Now, at the end of verse 15, Yet present the gospel to them with gentleness and fear. So what are we fearing when we talk to them? We're fearing God. We're fearing God. We're speaking to others about Christ because we fear disobeying God. He's called us to make Christ known, and so we, we fear disobeying the Holy One, so we do it because we love God. We fear Him. We speak to others about Christ with gentleness because we fear God. We understand that He has made them as image bearers of God, and He calls us to speak to them with gentleness. So out of a fear of God, not only do we talk to them, but out of a fear of God, we talk to them with respect and gentleness, but friends, we also speak to them about Christ because our fear of God really helps us understand the holiness of God and the reality of what they face. If they don't repent and believe, they will face the wrath of God one day, which is a fearful thing. So the fear of God drives us to speak to them, to point them to Christ, and to do so gently. This is what Paul brings out, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. I think we have that on the screen for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 11. There he is. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, here's the motivation, the basis, we persuade others. Friends, we take Christ to lost people around us because we fear God and we speak to them with gentleness. We take the gospel to them with gentleness because of the fear of the Lord in our own life. So let's bring all that back together. Look at verse 15 one more time. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Here's a summary of this text I want you to see today, and here's what I want you to take away from this text. Do not respond to suffering with hatred or fear. Those are the responses that were so natural for us. To get angry when we suffer, to be fearful. He's been telling us in recent weeks, don't do that. Put that off. Rather, what do we put on instead? Trust in the sovereignty of God to find hope and to point others to that hope. Friends, when we face trials and hardships and sufferings, if we're reviled, if people treat us wrong, we don't respond with hatred or anger. We don't respond with fear. God gives us grace to put that off, but God also gives us grace 
to put on a renewed focus on his sovereignty, his bigness, his will, his goodness. And from that, we find hope that changes us and sustains us. And we find a hope that overflows to others where we can point them to that hope. I want to ask us, friends, as I ask myself, do we have a big view of ourselves, or do we have a big view of God? Because if we have a big view of ourselves, it will show when trials come. It's easy to think we have a big view of God when life is easy and everything is affluent and we're healthy. But friends, when the trials and sicknesses and hardships and sufferings and the wrongs come, do our reactions show that we're focused on ourselves or that we're focused on God? Do we have a big view of God where we know that he is on his throne ruling, where we know that all he does is holy and good and right, where we understand that even the hardships of life are not accidents in his hand, but he wills it for our good and for his glory. And friends, if we have a big view of God, it will give us hope, hope to sustain us, and hope that it'll make the lost take notice and give us opportunity to speak about them. Paul Tripp, who's a biblical counselor, has a very probing question about all this. He asks this, is your life so attractive so beautiful that people come to you and say, tell me what's inside of you. Tell me why you do the things you do. Tell me what you have that I don't have. In other words, friends, the more we have a big view of God, the more our life becomes an attractive life that's very different from the world by which we have hope and the world around us can find that hope. We're gonna close this morning by singing the song, Build My Life. It's a song that hopefully you're familiar with, but it's what we're just studying about. We're saying, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Friends, think about that. We're singing about the holiness of God and the uniqueness of God. We're gonna, as a prayer in this morning, we're praying, open up my eyes and wonder and show me who you are. Friends, the reality is if we've been around the church a long time or been around the gospel a long time, we can get really kind of cold towards it and lose the wonder. I hope this will be your prayer as it is my prayer this morning that, we, that God will open our eyes and wonder at the fact that this good news that God has saved us and the song we'll also sing this morning is going to say, fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. We want this hope that we have to not stop with us, but to point us to others as well. Would you pray with me before we sing? Father, we are grateful for your love for us. We are grateful for your grace that has changed us, that pursued us when we were not even looking towards you. Thank you that you looked upon us in our sin and our wretchedness and our rebellion. and You did not treat us as our sins deserved. But instead, you redeemed us, and you turned our hearts to you, and you saved us from our sins, and you justified us, and you didn't just leave us in our sins, and now you're sanctifying us, and you are growing us, and Lord, you're even using the hard things in our lives to do so. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for myself and for these precious brothers and sisters that, Lord, we would really understand in new and fresh ways the glorious gospel message that we've been reading about and singing about and praying about this morning. Would you forgive us for our familiarity where we go through the day thinking about the gospel and we don't have awe and wonder? We ask your Holy Spirit would stir our hearts with a fresh sense of awe and wonder that you love us, you've set your affections on us, and you are changing us more and more to be like Christ. What I do pray is we're going to sing in a song in just a minute, Lord, that you would fill us with your heart. God, you would lead us in your love to those around us. Lord, we know you because you drew us to yourself, but also because you had someone share with us, whether it's a parent, a teacher, a friend, a Sunday school teacher, a vacation Bible school career, Lord, there's someone that you called to take the gospel to us where we heard it for the first time, that person who gave us the Bible, the person who sat down in the coffee shop and challenged us to believe, Lord, you sent someone our way. Lord, would you forgive us for all the times that we miss the fact that you're calling us to make you known as well. Lord, we confess it's so easy to go about our days just thinking about ourselves and our needs and wanting hope ourselves and miss the that all around us are people who are hopeless. 
do not know the hope of eternity, who do not know the hope of a sovereign God, the hope even of you walking with us through the hardships of life. And you put them right there around us for us to be able to talk to them about the hope we have. So Lord, as we sing this morning, I pray this would be my prayer and the prayer of these brothers and sisters, that you would lead us in your love to those around us. Lord, I know some of us are timid and a little bit nervous about taking those steps. I pray in your sovereign plan that even this week, someone would ask us, why are you different? Why do you have hope? How do you have joy? That some question will come our way and we will know it is your God-given opportunity to make you known to this person, to speak the gospel to them with much gentleness and respect and the fear of you that we will find the strength to make you known. Lord, I pray this week, in the schools of the people who come here to Gateway, in the offices of the people who are here at Gateway, in the neighborhoods of where we all live, that, Lord, the gospel message will go forward with gentleness and respect and in the fear of you, because you're opening doors left and right for us, Lord, to be able to make you known and answer the hope that we have in you. Lord, stir our hearts this week, Lord, to long for your word, to long to see the gospel in your word each and every day. Stir our hearts to want to pray to you, and I pray from the overflow of that, Lord, we will find the strength this week to be led by you to those around us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and we sing this as a prayer to the Lord together this morning?
closely, I want us to read out loud two songs as a declaration of what we believe and trusting in God and not fearing what's around us, but also as an encouragement to one another as we proclaim this together as the body of Christ. Let's start with Psalm 27, 1 to 4. Say it out loud with me. Of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now Psalm 56 11. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Lord, we humbly ask this day that you would work that faith into our hearts, that we would trust in you and you alone, knowing you're the holy one, knowing you are the sovereign reigning one, and you are Lord over all things, including us. And may we give you the praise for the confidence you build into our lives as we trust again in you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday.